That's right, everyone. Keenan here. And I want to welcome you to our glorious 20th episode as we discuss Newfound Glory's glorious fourth album, Catalyst. Mike, you ready to bask in some glory? Glory be, Keenan. Of course. <laughs> I'm ready for this glorious adventure. This may be our finest episode yet. Do you think we should go out in a blaze of glory? Uh, on second thought, maybe we should just stage dive in. To the glory days of pop punk. Woo! Catalyst is the fourth studio album by Newfound Glory. It was released on May 18th, 2004 through Drive Through and Geffen Records. It was their last album to be produced by Neil Averin, who we remember from Sticks and Stones, right, Mike? That's right, yeah. Until 2011's Radio Surgery. So they recorded a couple albums in between with a different producer and then went back to Neil for that installment. Very nice. The band is made up of the same members as we previously discussed on episode three of season one. Jordan, Chad, Ian, Cyrus, and Steve. And all those guys are still in the band today, except for Steve, the rhythm guitarist, who uh, he got into a little bit of legal trouble, I believe, and left the band because of that. Is that right, Mike? Yeah, I think I had read that they actually kind of kicked him out, or they came to the conclusion that he should leave and... He really had no choice but to be on his way. So I think they made the right call. At the time, I think that was probably for the best, but is what it is. The album debuted at a career-high number three on the Billboard 200 chart after selling 146,000 copies in its first week. It was later certified gold by the RIAA. Wow, that's pretty high, number three. Glory days of pop punk, huh? Yeah, I kind of couldn't believe that. That was pretty shocking. In the summer following the album's release... Newfound Glory performed on Warp Tour, as is tradition, and later went on a brief European tour. In October and November, they supported Green Day on their headlining U.S. tour. It's a big one. Definitely. Hey, Keenan, what in the world is going on here? Oh, you mean in May 2004? That's exactly what I mean. Our seventh grade year? Yeah, spring of seventh grade. Good year. Really good year, actually. Who was our seventh grade teacher? Did we have the same one? I had Mr. Paul. You had Mrs. O'Neill? Mrs. Santoro. You had Mrs. Santoro. Okay. Mm-hmm. I had Mr. Paul. Mrs. O'Neill was eighth grade. That's right. And we both had Mrs. O'Neill in eighth grade. I do remember that. Okay. And that'll come it. up later on. Wow. That's a tease. It's a huge tease. Everybody's on the edge of their seat. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Mrs. O'Neill, what's that about? May 2004, on May 1st, the racehorse Smarty Jones, Philly's finest, wins the 130th running of the Kentucky Derby. Later that month, May 15th, he wins the 129th running of the Preakness Stakes. As we previously discussed, he would go on to lose the Belmont Stakes in June, and with that, he dashed his Triple Crown dreams. That's a real shame. It's a shame. That was such a stain on Philly for... At least weeks. Yeah. Maybe a month. We, we we had nothing to look forward to at that point. All of our teams were pretty bad. We were in the waning days of Allen Iverson. Right. Actually, you know what? No, the Eagles went to the Super Bowl. Um, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, literally <laughs> that year. Yeah. Yeah, but they got destroyed. Eh, yeah, I but say they destroyed. lost. Yeah. They lost. They were in the process of kind of disbanding and rebuilding as well. So right. I stick to it. Philadelphia had nothing on the horizon of any note. Yeah. Smarty was the one thing we clung to that spring. And he let us down. The horse let us down. Boy, what a ride that was, though, Mike. No pun intended. It was, Keenan. On May 6th, TV sitcom Friends airs its series finale in the final episode of its 10th season. It was watched by 52.5 million viewers, making it the most watched telecast in six years and the fifth most watched overall television finale in U.S. history. Whoa. Did you watch that one? No, I never watched Friends. I used to see it on TV. Like, I've watched plenty of episodes, but definitely have not seen all of them. Definitely did not follow along back then. It reminds me of how The Office is now. People really, really like that show. Yeah. And I don't want to say anything negative about it because I haven't really watched too many episodes. The episodes of Friends I've watched, I'm just like, ah, this isn't that funny to me. And yeah. it was one of the bigger shows i think that had the laugh track right a couple years after that the laugh track didn't really play a part in comedies as much anymore you still had a couple like the big bang theory and how i met your mother still had them but for the most part that genre was moving away from that so yeah it was like the sitcom that was clearly in a studio on a stage you didn't really see too many more of those after friends you're definitely right about that are you curious to know which series finales actually topped friends and viewers yeah i was hoping you could tell me the top four i can <laughs> number four was seinfeld in 1998 ah uh, we love seinfeld it's so funny how we seem to talk about the same things every week somehow because that was our life back then that's what was popular back then just all these sitcoms and pixar movies yeah uh the fugitive which i never watched back in 1967 nope never heard of it cheers in 1993 that's one that the uh, old geezers love. Cheers is a good one. I've watched a couple episodes of that. It's entertaining. And MASH back in 1983. Uh, another favorite of the old geezers. You're right. I love MASH. Here's a crazy fact, Keenan. Between Cheers at number two and MASH at number one, 80 million viewers watch Cheers. 105 million people watch the series finale of MASH. That's a pretty crazy leap. And then I wonder what... The population in the U.S. was back then. That could have been close to half of U.S. population, right? Oh, yeah. And just in 1983, how many people... It wasn't like today where you have a screen in every single room of your house. It was like that was the focal point of America at that time. Yeah. And that actually held the record for total number of viewers all the way up until the 2010 Super Bowl. Wow. So to hold on to that record for decades is... Pretty incredible. That is incredible. Congratulations, MASH. You did it. <laughs> this is too funny. Speaking of DreamWorks movies and Pixar movies, on May 15th, Shrek 2, with voices by Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, and Cameron Diaz, premieres at the Cannes Film Festival. I feel like we talk about Shrek literally every single episode. It comes up a lot, and... If it's not Shrek, it's another DreamWorks movie, and I just say, I only like Shrek. Yeah, <laughs> I like Shrek 1, 2, 3, Puss in Boots, in that order. Let's bring it back to Shrek. Yeah, Shrek 2. Couldn't really tell you the difference. Oh, okay, so is Shrek 2 the one? It's one where she's also an ogre. 
Right, she's an ogre, and they go to Far, Far Away, and Lord Farquaad's in it. The biggest thing I remember about Shrek 2 is the little song that they sing that kind of oh. makes fun of It's a Small World. Was that in the second one or the first one? I believe that was in the second one. I would argue that was the first one. But you're right. That is my favorite scene in all of Shrek movie franchise. They say, make sure to wipe your face. Yeah, it's a good one. And that was some of the funniest humor that I've ever seen. <laughs> Especially when we were 14 years old. Exactly. Couldn't really beat that. I think Shrek 2 might have been the last one I actually saw. They're on TV a lot. They're on TBS like every single weekend, I'm pretty sure. At this point, I might as well just wait until Jack starts watching them because then I'll have to watch it 500,000 times. Yeah, that's true. So why start now? Yeah, just wait it out. On May 31st, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, the third film based on the J.K. Rowling series, is released in UK cinemas. Have you seen all those? I imagine you probably have. I have, yeah. The Harry Potter movies were ones we always went to as a family. Not like opening night, but first or second weekend, they were in theaters. We went to go see it. The whole Moynihan's were camped out on Thursday (laughs) at midnight to go see Harry Potter? No, not quite that devoted. I actually never read the Harry Potter books. My sister read those, and I never got into them, but I, I did enjoy the movies. Did you read any of them or no? By the time I thought I should read them, the book of Prisoner Azkaban was out, so I started mm. reading that, but I didn't... I obviously had no idea what was going on, so I just didn't... I don't know. i never been really into the whole magical fantasy genre. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It just... I was more into... I like mystery, like spy novels. Yeah. Like young adult spy novels. That was my thing. Yeah, get rid of this wizard nonsense. Right. It's all fake. It's all it's all fake. <laughs> yeah, unlike these spy books that you read, which are biographies. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, and then at a certain point, it's kind of like Friends. I missed the boat, and the phenomenon was done or winding down, and it didn't feel right to try to to jump on at the last minute, so I just never really got into it. Yeah, that'd be phony. Wait, is Prisoner of Azkaban, is that the one where there's um, that big wizard jail and there's that prisoner in there and it's called Azkaban or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, is that one? Okay. Yeah. Harry's uncle or something. Yeah. Serious, serious Black. Sure. That sounds right. Yeah. I think I could be making it up, but it sounds right. <laughs> Ser- Wait, I thought, oh yeah. Okay. Serious Black. Yeah. I was getting him confused with Severus Snape for a second. Right. That's all the names are very confusing to me, having not read the books. <laughs> but the one thing I remember the, about that movie is there's a newspaper, and the newspaper, the front page of it, the picture changes. It moves. Yeah. yeah. I remember that. That part it's, was cool. Uh, Sirius Black in jail, just going, ah, he's really mad that he's in the prison of Azkaban. Yeah, he screams at the newspaper, and it like comes through the newspaper. I do remember yeah. that, too. And the headline reads... Prisoner of Azkaban is in the prison of Azkaban. (laughs) Yeah, that's the one with the jail in that wizard place in Azkaban. Let's stick with uh, our friends across the pond, Mike. May 31st, same day. The British children's cartoon Peppa Pig, created by Ashley Baker Davies, which by the way, very British name, premieres on Channel 5. Peppa Pig, that is like every kid's favorite TV show today, isn't it? Yeah. That's what I'm worried Shrek will become because we watched Peppa Pig 
not 24 seven, but it's the only show that really holds Jack's attention mm-hmm. so we can like do dishes or get something done while he's sitting there watching it. Can you give me a 30 second synopsis of just the overall plot of Peppa Pig? Cause I literally know nothing about it. Okay. I don't think it's the worst kid show to have to have on in your house as often as possible. It's Peppa Pig. She's a little pig. Her brother, George Pig. And then their parents, Mommy Pig and Daddy Pig. So they name one Peppa and they name one George? Yeah, George is the only one that is not an alliterated name. (laughs) All of Peppa's friends, it's like Susie Sheep, Pedro Pony, Zoe Zebra. um, Zebra or Zebra? Zebra. Got it. Okay. On the British show, it's Zoe Zebra. They all have these first and last names that correspond with the animal letter. Not George Pig. He's the only one. But yeah, I mean, there's there's not much of a plot. It's just they go to playgroup, they do different things, and um, she loves jumping up and down in muddy puddles. That's the big takeaway. She also has an album, if you ever want to get a feel for what she's all about. Should we review it? Should we discuss it? Maybe we throw that in as an episode. Or a bonus episode. Yeah, that might not be a bad idea. The songs are pretty amazing. Do you think there's a pop-punk cover album? Not yet. Hmm. The album came out in 2019, so... Oh, it's pretty recent. Yeah, but um, the great thing about the Peppa Pig songs is if you're in the car, the same way the show calms Jack down, if he's watching it, the songs calm him down. Oh, that's great. If you just play them, so... I also just realized, I think I called this creator Ashley, but is it Astley? It is, but nobody's gonna know. (laughs) Well, no, but that just makes it... A way more British name, Astley Baker Davies. That's incredible. On Channel 5. Yeah, that's great. Here it is, everybody's favorite segment, Celebrity Weddings. On May 23rd, singer-guitarist Michelle Branch weds musician Teddy Landau in Mexico. She was 21 at the time. They have since divorced as of 2015, Mike. Wow, that lasted longer than I would have guessed. Yeah, if you're 21... I mean, I'm sh- we know people who've gotten married at 21, but that's young, I think, these days. So to make it that long is still pretty impressive. Yeah. And Michelle Branch, talk about an album that we should review one day. Hotel Paper was one of the best of all time. I was just going to say, she has so many bangers. Do you want to say our favorite Michelle Branch song on the count of three? Three, two, one. Goodbye to Everywhere. you. Everywhere. Oh, nope. Not the same one. <sighs> Everywhere is good, but... Dude, goodbye to you. So many feels. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, it's really that is a good. good one. Is that on the spirit room? I can't remember what it's on, but... It is. It is. Oh, so it's everywhere. Okay, so maybe we should do that instead of the hotel paper. Yeah, maybe you're right. Oh, man. I'm going to listen to that tonight. Yeah, I think I might too. I was listening to it earlier, actually. Because you're So for Newfound Glory's earlier albums, Mike, their self-titled Sticks and Stones, 
they definitely focused more on creating a sound that their fans would enjoy. So I think they sort of fell into this trap of creating pop punk songs that would really cater to the fans. With this album, they went back to that original strategy of just doing what they love, writing what they love. And I think you can hear it because the songs sound a lot different from their recent albums. Jordan Pundick actually described it as getting a lot heavier and even more aggressive, and I think in a lot of ways a little more experimental. It's pretty clear in the title of the album, Catalyst, they were trying to reinvent themselves, and that's why they named it that. Interesting. Yeah, you can definitely tell that it's a little bit of a different sound than Sticks and Stones, so I never knew that the creative reasoning behind that. We'll find most of the songs are pop punk on this album, Keenan, but it also showcases a couple different sounds and genres like hardcore metal in some songs but then also choir strings and keyboards and others yeah it's a good mix of a lot of different sounds which i think really adds to its completeness there's hardcore there's synth pop there's a little bit of everything yeah there's some slow ballads it's really up and down it's not really that cohesive across the board there's not a ton of flow to it but it's still works and there's still a ton of hits in it the themes that they explore relationships obviously i think we can just assume that in any pop punk album from that decade there's going to be songs about relationships this one it seemed like most of them were about failing relationships or negative views on relationships uh but they do discuss some good ones as well some blossoming relationships yeah i would say a lot of bad but also a few good and then there's some more introspective songs that deal with personal troubles, uh, personal insecurities, feeling like a failure, not being able to sleep, yeah, <laughs> not being certain in your past and your future, stuff like that. Stuff that we can relate to as pop punkers ourselves. Definitely relatable. And then I noticed there was this new type of song that I don't think we've come across before, and I'm just going to call it an advice song where they're almost talking to somebody specifically or talking to a group of people and trying to convince them of something or trying to advise them on some life lesson. I'll point them out when we come across them, but there were two, maybe three of those where I was like, oh, this is a totally different theme that I don't know if we've really explored yet. I did notice a couple of those and yeah, nothing comes to mind in terms of similarities from other bands we've discussed. So pretty interesting. And then the other... Fun little fact is we mentioned how the album doesn't feel that cohesive where it could be, you know, metal in one song and then synth pop in another song and then a really slow, sad song. In 2016, Chad Gilbert, during an interview, ranked all of his albums in order, all of Newfound Glory's albums in order, and he ranked Catalyst as his second to least favorite album. He said that looking back on it, it doesn't really make any sense Catalyst is all over the place musically. So he even acknowledged that it didn't really have a flow to it, but they were trying to initiate a big change in their sound, and I think they actually accomplished that. So you had this album back in middle school, didn't you? Yeah, as I had mentioned last week, I listened to this at our science fair. I had gotten it for Christmas of 2005. I had heard all downhill from here and I was familiar with that music video from MTV and I wanted to get my hands on the CD so big Christmas gift that year it was in a pretty heavy rotation for me at the time 
And from there, I think I reached back into NFG's back catalog. Like, I had heard the singles off of Sticks and Stones, but this was definitely the first CD of theirs that I actually owned. Yeah, this was a really good one. This was one of my favorite albums at the time. Knew all the songs. I did want to share a kind of funny story actually more recently about this album. It was a few years ago, and I was living in Conshohocken with Aaron and Canal, and I decided that I wanted to listen to this album on a random Friday night when we were hanging out, so we threw it on, and it was on Alexa, and I think we were listening to it through Amazon Music, and I remember Aaron was telling us a story about how if you tell Alexa to just buy something, it doesn't matter what it is, but if you just say, Alexa, buy I'm talking low because there's an Alexa right in front of me, and I'm worried that it's going to happen again. But Oh, you should have included, yeah, so if you're listening to this in earshot of an Alexa, be warned. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but so he was explaining how if you say that, she'll just buy like the most recent thing that you were listening to or talking about, or she'll just go on Amazon and buy it. So as we were listening to this album, I just decided to test it, and I yelled, Alexa, buy, buy, buy. And she ended up buying it, of course. So The whole album or just particular songs? Bought the whole album. Nice. It was literally like, purchasing, newfound glories, catalyst. Good looking uh, out, Alexa. So yeah, so $7.99 later that I Venmoed Aaron. Um, yeah. So I bought it again a few years ago, and I was like, well, I have it now. I might as well just listen through a bunch of times. And it became my favorite album again for like six months. Nice. That's a steal at seven ninety nine. Yeah, it was shockingly cheap. Let me try something real quick. Okay. Alexa, subscribe to patreon.com slash project. <laughs> Do you have one within earshot or no? No, we, uh, we have, uh, we're Google Home family. Oh, that's lame. We want Google listening to our every waking thought, not Amazon. That actually might be the play because Alexa, she's a bit devious. I don't think I can buy anything with Google, at least not yet. We'll test it. Don't worry. Wouldn't that be so funny if, like, it's like, okay, subscribing to the shitty <laughs> <Yeah>. Patreon. <laughs> All right, got another subscriber. Alexa, subscribe to patreon.com slash project at the $41 <laughs> tier. <laughs> uh, I guess you'll join in with our other 100 subscribers at our $41 tier. Track number one of the Newfound Glory album Catalyst is called Intro. So it's literally a short intro song, very reminiscent of a couple bands that we've discussed, a couple bands that we know pretty well who have done similar things. Some 41 is known to do an intro track, a really short intro track. Good Charlotte has done it. I know AFI, I think, was pretty popular for doing mm-hmm. stuff like that, like an instrumental intro. I wanted to start this episode with a bang, Mike. The doppelganger this week is actually this song, and it's with one of Some 41's short little blast beat mini songs and it's the song never wake up i 
Yeah, I can see that. They both have very fast lyrics. Like, the music is fast, but they also sing very fast. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's really up-tempo, really upbeat, and it does have that vintage punk rock blast beat to it. And then it does even out into a slightly more normal chorus, and then back to a blast beat, back to an ending. So very similar. They actually sound really, really close. But Never Waking Up's kind of in the middle of that, of All Killer, No Filler, right? If I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, it is. It's not at the beginning of the album, but it's kind of thrown in right in the middle as a change of pace. Yeah. Cool. I never actually looked at the lyrics just because it was the intro track and I didn't pay much attention to it because right after it was the lead single. That said, it's pretty interesting. It's kind of Newfound Glory calling out posers within the scene. You know, they're real pop punkers. They've been around since, what, 99, um, if not earlier. And this is their fourth album. This is at a time when pop punk is really blowing up and kind of dominating mainstream music. And I think a lot of this song is Newfound Glory telling them to stay in their lane. And, you know, the music that they're producing is not at the same level as Newfound Glory. They're never going to be putting the same passion into their commercialized version of pop punk. I thought it could have been about contemporary bands, but it sounded to me like they were calling out record executives for being posers, not getting their way of life. Ooh, that could be a good one too. Yeah. Especially since how we discussed, this is them returning to songs that they want to record and they want to play. They don't care about whether or not it moves albums or not. Right, not just what the executives want to hear, not necessarily what the fans want to hear, but there is a line, you keep trying to market this feeling, and I was like, okay, this has to be about the music industry and music executives trying to commoditize their sound and their brand. And so I was like, okay, I kind of like this, especially as the first song in your record to just call out the people that are recording and trying to move this record, I thought was pretty savage. Yeah, absolutely. It's more than a t-shirt. It's more than a tattoo. It's more than a face. This is how I was raised. These are our lives here. This is not just some hot thing at the moment that can make you a buck. Exactly. Yeah. I like it. I like it just because it's they're pointing out that they're authentic and don't care about the superficial things. Yeah. They also said the F word in it, which also, when I was younger, I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't listen to this one. Yeah. <laughs> Got to turn this one down in front of the parents. Yeah. Track number two. All Downhill From Here. Do you remember this one? I do. <laughs> I'm not sure if I actually remember this one. Keenan, cut it out. Was it good? Yeah, it was very It was very good. Oh, it was really good? Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I know this is typically your thing, but can I tell you a misheard lyric in the song, Mike? Oh, sure. I haven't had one of those in a while, in a couple episodes. <laughs> I know. I might be taking over your, your little bit here, but... No, that's fine. It was weird. I would waver back and forth. Sometimes I would think it was one, sometimes I'd think it was the other, and just depended on the day how I was going to sing it. But the very start of the song, when he says, you're hiding something because it's burning through your eyes, mm-hmm. many times... I thought he was saying, you're high on something 
because it's burning through your eyes. Ooh. I mean, it could honestly work either way. Yeah, bloodshot eyes. Yeah. So that one, it's like, could go either way, whatever. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Or should I say hear that? (laughs) (laughs) Good one, Mike. (laughs) The thing with Newfound Glory is a lot of their songs are, it's not that I misheard words. It's just that I have no idea what they're saying, period. Right. (laughs) That's true. There's something about his voice where you're just, you don't always pick up on individual words. Right. That's, you know, I like that about him. I always heard the correct words because that's just the kind of guy I am. That aside, Keenan, it is the first single and the first song I ever loved by Newfound Glory. And while we're on our little uh, sub-segments of our episode, let me hit you with the Susie Cook cooking up vocab. Hey, cooking it up with Susie Cook. Here we go. (laughs) You already alluded to the fact that obviously this album is called Catalyst. This is the song in which that word plays a prominent role in the chorus. And let me tell you something real quick, Mike. This song was actually originally supposed to be called Catalyst, but these pesky music executives asked Newfound Glory to change it so that it was actually different from the album name so that people could differentiate the two. So there you go. There's your first example of them getting a little too carried away with uh, the band's creative decisions. That's interesting because when I was searching for the music video, I just typed in Newfound Glory Catalyst. <laughs> oh, really? So yeah, there you I go. misremembered it correctly. But catalyst is a substance that increases the rate of a chemical reaction without itself undergoing any permanent chemical change or a person or thing that precipitates an event. We're seeing the early stages of a breakup, and I think the catalyst, this is the beginning of the end for this couple. Yeah, I think you're right. And then also, that's interesting because it relates back to, again, the name of the album. They talk about it all through the song, and... This is the first song really on the album. We had that quick intro track, but this is the first actual song. This song is the catalyst for their changing sound. Wow, that actually works in a lot of weird ways. That's pretty cool. I remember learning about Catalyst in chemistry class. Me too. But I couldn't tell you honestly what they are. But if you Google the word Catalyst, it looks like a roller coaster. Like it's going up, 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 and then down, down, down. So I'm not sure that's like the reaction taking place. I just remember Catalyst being something like a compound or a solution or something that you would introduce into an experiment and it would initiate some sort of chemical reaction. And so I think it could just be anything that speeds up a reaction. (laughs) But again, (laughs) I'm no chemist. (laughs) Right. How they graph it, it's just like that. Oh, it just goes up and down. Yeah, so it looks like a roller coaster hill. So all downhill from here. Oh, that's really cool. Whoa, this one works in a lot of weird ways. This is the first of a number of songs we'll see that deal with relationships or failing relationships. and. In this one, again, going back to that catalyst, this girl is negatively affecting the singer in this song while 
seemingly being completely unaffected by any of her actions or any of the things that she does to him. She's slowly destroying him and doesn't seem to be bothered in the least. So she is the catalyst in that sense as well. Whoa. It's heavy. The bridge was always my favorite part. Oh, yeah. And you keep pulling me. Yeah. It cuts out, becomes acoustic for a couple lines, and then the big scream, and then into the really heavy crescendo of the song. Always loved it. The music video is cool. Do you remember the music video? I do. This was a music video that I remember that it was like CGI, but I never could tell you exactly what was happening in it from memory. It's really different. It's really weird, but it's super cool. It is very different. And having watched it this past week, I still can't really tell you exactly what's going on. <laughs> I-, I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of weird moving parts. The one part that I do find really funny Pootie and I made this pop punk power hour several months ago, which by the way, we should, at some point we should share on our Patreon or something. Cause it's, it's pretty fun. But one of the last songs is this music video. And we always crack up because at that point in the power hour, we're both a little, you know, socially lubed. And there's the <laughs> one scene of that little figure like speeding through the desert on like a little unicycle. And he, yeah. every time we start cracking up because we think he looks like a little meatball. <laughs> yeah, he does. So is he a meatball? He's not a meatball. He's just probably a rock, right? No, I'm saying he does look like a meatball. Okay. Yeah. I just love that. It's so funny. It's all these CGI creatures. Newfound Glory is playing in a desert and all these creatures are coming towards them. And then they begin constructing this weird like makeshift structure that it just starts building higher and higher and higher. And newfound glory is on a platform that keeps lifting up higher and higher as well. And then eventually the band's playing in this weird version of heaven where I think they're all dressed in different costumes. Yeah. I know Jordan's in a chicken suit. There's an alien. I got weird, like Teletubby vibes from that little heaven scene. Yeah. It's like supposed to be real surreal and they're all dressed up in these just weird costumes. Yeah. But there's also this sexy girl character licking a lollipop in heaven too. And that part you mentioned earlier, the bridge when it cuts out and they scream, you keep pulling me down. The band drops all the way back down to the ground and Jordan begins running from this girl who's chasing after him. And then the little meatball guy... <laughs> shoots through the structure and it all collapses to the ground so don't they come rising out through the destruction though yeah weird ending for a weird video but still yeah it was cool though i'm pretty sure i read that they hired this french artist slash production team to put it together and this guy or this team were known for their really abstract production so i think it kind of fits that category definitely I didn't want to string people along for too much longer, Keenan. We're going to get back to Mrs. O'Neill real quick, if that's okay with you. Oh, yeah. Mrs. O'Neill. 
so this is the song that we both loved in eighth grade mm-hmm. in homeroom and we would always mess around it was i remember the back row the back two rows of mrs o'neill's class it was oh man you tubes and then me bill torres and ryan anella sat behind you guys and we would always yeah. kind of mess around yeah that was the peanut gallery yeah that was like a good in crew. homeroom or in, during breaks or whatever and one time we were like kind of just jamming out to this song and i was trying to reach jordan's like pitch like his high pitched voice and i squeezed my nose to do like catalyst and um my nose started bleeding and i guess mrs o'neill wasn't really paying attention to her back like she was at the chalkboard or something and then she just turned around she's like why are you bleeding and i don't even do we even I don't even remember if we told her the reasoning why. I think I just said, oh, I just have a nosebleed. She wouldn't even get it. Adults just don't get it. No, they don't. I was trying <laughs> to emulate this grown man who sings like a choir boy. Yeah. Um. But, I, yeah, I think I just said, oh, I just bumped my nose or something. Uh, yeah. That's a great excuse. Oh, just bumped it. I think she just wanted to rule out that nobody punched me in the face or something. Well, yeah, which was shocking because you bill know, throw me an elbow or something yeah like that. we typically did that so yeah that was all we did back in the day so yeah just a weird story that every time i listen to this song from that point on that's all i think about is just what a weird like i don't know yeah it's just such a iconic voice yeah and it was so funny to us like i don't know if it'll be funny for everybody else but it's yeah. so funny that that happened you had to be there you wouldn't get it yeah Track number three, This Disaster. This one's my favorite song. Mm. Always has been. Always will be. It's a good one. Yeah, it's one of my favorite Newfound Glory songs of all time. Definitely the, my favorite on this album. It's cool because it has a very heavy intro. This is where they start to introduce this heavier sound. Heard a little bit of it on Catalyst, but this one even heavier. But it's weird because it's both heavy and catchy at the same time, which is kind of an unusual combination in this genre. But Newfound Glory always had a really good way of doing that. Yeah, they have. It comes in hot. That it gets right into it. Are you aware? It's yeah. like that's like such a Karen way to start a song. <laughs> this is the Karen song of the album. Yeah. That's like the pop punk version of asking to speak to the manager. Yeah. Totally. Excuse me, are you aware? <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, it's also this is also a bad relationship that seems to be falling apart, Keenan. We said there was gonna be a lot of them, so here we go. He is completely over her. She's complicated his life, and now he feels like she's suffocating him. And there's all this other stuff involved. Like, he's convinced she's talking behind his back to all of her friends. And at this point, he's just waiting for it to end. Yeah, I think it's probably a follow-up from All Downhill From Here, actually. All Downhill From Here felt like it was in a relationship that was on the decline. This one, 
he essentially admits that it's a disaster. So it is the bottom of this relationship. It's the end point. And I got the feeling that the guy was sort of questioning whether or not he would be able to let it go. It was almost this feeling of like, oh, she'll come crawling back. She she didn't know how good she had it. Aren't there a few lines that sort of allude to that? Yeah, I won't deny I took no part in ever wanting you back. And don't deny one day you'll need me. So exactly. in his mind, this is essentially all but over. But he still thinks one day she'll come to her senses and realize that she took him for granted while she had him. Yeah. And she'll realize that she needed him again. I did think it was interesting. The relationship is described as a disaster, but they say we never planned on this disaster. So that reminds me that when you start a relationship and things are going good, you never plan on it getting so awful and terrible and feeling like you're being suffocated by the other person. See, Mike, that's where I disagree. That's basically how I plan all my relationships. <laughs> I go into it just assuming that it's going to crash and burn. You're always just plotting on I'm just how ready. you tear yeah. it all down. Just ready. <laughs> yeah, no, nobody does that. Jordan did. For that reason, I guess it's taking him a little bit longer to come to terms that this is over. Right. He's just got to let it go. Yep. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Track number four is Truth of My Youth. Mike, this one is so good. This is a vintage punk rock song. It is so good. It is so good. This was um, in a battle for my favorite. So I oh, might really? say this is my second favorite. I'll take that. Yeah. But it's up there. You know what I want you to do from now on? I want you to list your order of songs from first to last. So on this album, you would have to list one through 14. Okay. Not now, but we'll start next episode. I'll do Chad Gilbert style of just listing everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. From worst to best. Do you remember in our first few episodes, you had actually, you would always have like your favorite and then your, you would name your least favorite too. And I, I was like, Mike, you don't have to say that you hate these songs. I know. It was very mean. I still <laughs> always, I still always have a least favorite, but I, I tend to keep it to myself. Yeah. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, you know? Yeah. Like what, what was it? I, I can tell you what, what it is on this album, but oh, okay. maybe I'll do it for this album. Yeah. It's a special treat. Do it for this one. Yeah. But in the future... I want you ranking all of them from now on. That's your new job. I also realized that my least favorite could also be somebody else's favorite. And then that could completely turn them off to caring at all what I had to say about the song. True. Yeah. So. Also, you might 
change their mind. You know, you might turn them off of pop punk entirely. You don't want to do that. Yeah, true. Not only does this song suck, but this band sucks and this genre is a joke. And anybody listening right now sucks too. <laughs> That's what we want to really, really isolate everybody. Alexa, unsubscribe from the pop punk project. <laughs> yeah. They're real mean that last episode. Okay, back to this song, Mike. This is without a doubt their get the circle pit going song on the album. And in concert, as you know, I've seen them multiple times. And in the last five years, I think I've seen them three to four times. They readily announce that their circle pit song is coming up before they play this song. So you know that this has high energy in concert and that's what they were intending. But it does have that pop punk blast beat that gets people kind of moving. And it does feel a lot like their older sound. It feels a lot like the songs from Sticks and Stones and even the earlier songs from their earlier albums that not many people know, which are really raw and up-tempo. It has the great pop-punk classic sound. It also has a great pop-punk classic theme. That theme of growing up, getting older, leaving your hometown, and then kind of not being sure what the future holds, maybe regretting what you've done in the past, and just being in this weird transitional phase where you're excited for what's to come but you're also a little bit embarrassed or haunted by the truth of your youth and things you've done in the past yeah well i think this is one of the cooler songs in the album because it does seem like this is their way of being able to open up they play it off as if they're using this song as a way to open up to the audience or maybe to open up to a specific person because they're too nervous to do it, I guess, in person or otherwise. And so, yeah, they admit that they used to be afraid of being stuck in their hometown their entire lives, disowning their whole family and friends, talking about bad breakups. I think there's a part that they're actually talking about being arrested. The one verse where it says, There were countless hours on the telephone. My ears were ringing from dial tone. There were flashing lights, people staring. There was nothing I could ever do. Is that... Maybe them being stuck in a police station or something? Yeah, it has to be some type of emergency vehicle. I thought it was cool. I thought it was almost them journaling or, you know, writing down poetry where they could finally open up. Haven't you done a little journaling and poetry, Mike? <laughs> Do you ever talk about uh, the times you were arrested? and All the uh, times I was arrested, yeah. wanted to disown your family? <laughs> <laughs> I really still haven't left my old hometown, but... That's true. You literally live in your grandmother's old house. That's true. I'm getting, I'm actually like digressing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm moving cl even closer if possible. Yeah, but definitely. Yeah, they treat it as this weird communication with the audience, but also with maybe a love interest in the song. They say that there's regrets they'll stay away from and lies that they'll never mention, but they're going to give you the truth the only time. Like, I'll, we'll talk about this and then I'd like to move on. Yeah. Don't get used to me being too open and honest with you. Yeah. But also, I think I also could see it as like a new relationship. Like another line says, there's this girl who says she doesn't know me anymore. So I'm thinking, I want you to hear all this bad stuff from me as opposed to my ex or, you know, somebody who knew who I was before, like before I've made this effort to work on myself and change who I am, because then you're really going to think I'm a a piece of crap when in reality I used to be, but I'm trying to be better. 
Yeah, he's preempting it. He's trying to soften the blow like, uh, you might hear some things, so I'd rather you hear it from me first. Yeah, right. I, I got that too. Nice work, uh, future Jordan. <laughs> yeah. Past Jordan. You did it, man. The last thing I want to say about this, Mike, is there is a really cool live acoustic version of the song where they totally change the sound. It's slower. There's incredible singing. There's incredible harmonies. And again, having a song that's usually up-tempo that gets a circle pit moving as acoustic and really melodic is a really fun change of pace. And Newfound Glory has done a lot of that actually in the last year. Even before COVID hit, they started doing these studio sessions and doing acoustic versions of all their famous songs. And this was one of the first ones they did. So I'd love to share that one because it's really good. That rivals the Taking Back Sunday acoustic cover of Q Without the You that we discussed. Yeah. Where obviously you can tell it's the same song, but it's a completely different sound and feel to it. And I had never heard that before. You had sent me the link and told me to check it out. And I love the song, but hearing that version of it, I'm like, man, I probably will watch this like randomly for the rest of my life. It's yeah. it's just that good. It's so good. Right. Track number five. I don't want to know. Is this their ballad, Mike? Yeah, I would say it is. I would too. This is the most ballady on the album for sure. Yeah, agreed. So to get back to their changing sound, especially from song to song, so far we've heard a good punk rock song in All Downhill From Here. We heard a heavier song in This Disaster. Then we heard like a raw punk song. Now we're hearing a slow ballad. It has a string section, sounds almost like one of the slow yellow card songs or one of the slow All-American Reject songs that we've covered before. Totally different speed now. Totally different speed musically and totally different speed thematically as well. This is probably, if not the most positive, one of the more positive songs on the album, in my opinion. Rather than a love that's falling apart, it's a new love that's just blossoming and growing into something quite beautiful, Keenan. Yeah, it is. It's sort of the evolution of this cycle of love. And they go through it, and it plays like a story, doesn't it? The first verse is them first meeting. They sort of lock eyes for the first time. The second verse is maybe their first few dates. They're kind of in the honeymoon phase, getting to know each other, where things are still fresh and exciting. And then 
the bridge, I think, is when it sort of talks about their marriage where, you know, they're probably living together. He's returning home to her at night, even though he's on tour and on the road constantly. So it does have this nice flow to it. And it does tell this pretty incredible story about this couple. The bridge, as you said, the line frame pictures start to appear on the wall. They have this way of describing something like a simple concept in this this really cool way. It reminded me of, I guess you could say, the ballad on their album Sticks and Stones, Sonny, when they compared A Death of a Loved One to An Empty Chair at All the Tables. Yeah. In this one, it's like getting married and making a home together. Framed pictures start to appear on the walls, you know? Right. Probably go from posters and just random things you throw around the house to actually, oh, I like this picture of us. Let's frame it. Yeah, it's really cool imagery. Yeah. I also thought the title was maybe the coolest part of the song. The line, which is the end of the chorus, is, what will happen next, I don't want to know. And that kind of captures the excitement and the adventure of young love. So this whole concept of I don't want to know is you just sort of submitting yourself to the unknown of what this new love could bring. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's just trying to enjoy the time you have. Like, as he says, it's hard to leave to go on the road sometimes, but you know where I lay my head at night. Like, I know I'll always be back home with you when it's all said and done. And then there's the music video. (laughs) The music video is a bit different. It doesn't really actually tell the story that we just discussed. It's, It's almost like another person's interpretation of it. It's weird because I liked the music video, but now when I watch it again, being older and being married and being in a different part of my life, I'm like, oh, this music video is very, like, sad. Yeah. Like, the song actually comes from a a very real place of a great love towards someone, and then the music video is just this fickle couple that seems to be making up and breaking up as quickly as the seasons change, which, I don't know. I think it's interesting, but I think they could have done a better job having it relate more to the video and really showing a young love blossom into something, you know, as time goes by. It's not just the positives of this blossom relationship. They throw in these negatives as well. And I think it actually ends with the woman being pregnant and the guy choosing to leave her when she's pregnant. And he does eventually come back and I think they reconnect and he decides to stay with her in the final scene. But it was just a much different feeling than the song yeah the pregnancy part of it always threw me for a loop even when i was younger i'm like what like why did they decide to throw that in because it zooms in on her pregnant belly be like see she's pregnant now Yeah, it was weird and i don't know if i'm like looking too far into it but he leaves there because, like, oh, shit, I got her <laughs> yeah. pregnant. Yeah. Like, obviously, that's what you do. Yeah. Um, but then he comes back, and it. I get the feeling that she lost the pregnancy somehow. Did you not see that? Cause, I don't know if I got that, but okay, I could be wrong. Watch it again with that in mind and let me know what you think because... <laughs> I don't think I want to. She's visibly shaken, and he kind of, like, grips her leg. I don't know. It's really weird. Oh. Geez. And she's not holding a baby, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, it was it was a little weird. The ending was definitely weird. 
Track number six, your biggest mistake. So this is what I was talking about, Mike, when I said that there are advice songs on the album. This is the first advice song. Oh, is it ever, Keenan? Everyone's told you over and over again, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. Yeah. He's basically just tearing this person a new one, saying that every decision that this person made is ruining his or her life. And everybody around this person has been telling him for years that whatever this big decision is, is the wrong one. Or I guess whatever multiple decisions they've made in their life are the wrong ones. That's the thing that's interesting is you talked about in the intro how a lot of these songs seem to be very specific references to something and they don't really detail exactly what it is that they're making a mistake about. I always just assumed it was a relationship given the rest of the songs in this album that maybe their friend is entering into a relationship that everybody is telling him this is not a good idea. I got the same theme as Reliant K is the one I'm waiting for, where everybody around you is telling you, I don't think this person's right for you. And you're too proud to take a step back and admit that you might be wrong about the situation. Yeah, it's weird. It's it's like the song before this, people can relate to that because it could be about any relationship. This one seems like they had somebody in mind when they wrote it. And this person would listen to it and know that the guys in Newfound Glory were talking about them. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It could be about a relationship. It could be about them trying to give advice to their friend that he's making a big mistake. I went a little left field with the way I heard it. Can I drop some uh, conspiracy theories on you, Mike? Oh, yeah. I'd love, I love to hear what you have to say. <laughs> okay. So I listened to it a couple times. I read through the lyrics. I was poking around the internet a little bit, which is probably a bad idea, but... I saw one little note somewhere that said, this song is about Tom DeLong. And then I just went on this crazy tear of reading about Newfound Glory, reading about Blink-182, reading about when bands went on hiatuses. And I legitimately think that this song could be written about Tom DeLong, and it's a big Blink-182 conspiracy. Okay. So elaborate. Like, this song came out in May of 2004, so right around the time when Tom was leaving Blink to start Angels and Airwaves, right? Oh, strap in, Mike. So they were writing this album late 2003, mid to late 2003, recorded it early 2004. That was around the time when Blink went on their first hiatus, when Tom started Boxcar Racer with Travis, and Mark didn't like that, and they had this big falling out. And so I think this could be a song about Tom and how he's making this huge mistake because he's essentially breaking up Blink at the time. And they're talking about the music community, how everybody's told them, this is such a bad idea. Don't do this, Tom. And the timing just weirdly worked. And then there's one line in the song, for once you should just listen or care what I think, or I'll be gone before you can blink. Come on, Mike. I don't know. Keenan, double meaning much? I don't know. Is it too conspiracy or is it spot on? What do you think? I definitely think it's interesting. (laughs) 
Yeah. I want to believe, Keenan. I want to believe, too. It's the more fun reasoning behind this song's meaning. Yeah. Agreed. And looking back, I think... I don't know. Would you have considered this this warning correct? Was that a big mistake by Tom, or did he make the right choice? Oh, no. I don't think it was a big mistake. I think everything that happened was probably for the best, because you know you wouldn't have had their self-titled album without their falling out and their rekindling of their relationship. But, I mean, if this was a warning to Tom, it was correct because Tom is not in Blink-182 anymore and things did really never recover for them as far as their own relationship as a band. So, I don't know. Thanks for sharing. That was fascinating. No problem, man. (laughs) I thought it was cool, too. I literally was up very late last night and... (laughs) I was like, you know that scene from It's Always Sunny where Charlie Kelly's like putting all the yeah, like strings happy, on the wall? Happy Sylvia. Happy Sylvia. Yeah. Carol! Carol! <laughs> yeah, that's what I felt like. Before you can blink, 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 182. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Track number seven, Doubtful. Huh, what's this about, Mike? Is this another story song about a failing relationship? What do you think? Keenan, I think you're onto something there. I don't know about the conspiracy theory, but I think you're onto something there. <laughs> How about you just do all the uh, breakup songs? I'll do all the conspiracy theory advice songs. How about that? Okay, cool. All right, that's our new niche. Despite this being of a similar theme, I think it takes an interesting approach. So. The first couple times I listened to it, it's like, okay, this guy wants to break up and he's not quite sure about it, whatever. He's he's doubtful. He's full of doubt. Not sure if it's the right call. And then listening to it again, it's like he has this letter that he seems to have written everything out. It's signed, sealed. All that it needs is to be delivered. I'm yours. <laughs> <laughs> it's explaining everything. He writes his true thoughts and his true emotions. And if he gives the letter to this girl, every word is going to cut her like a dagger. It's going to completely ruin them. I also just love how he has so much faith in his words that it's like, this will (laughs) freaking kill you. Hey, when you're the lead singer of a world famous band, you got to be pretty confident in your writing. Very true. But then I was like, he doesn't actually ever give it to her. So what if the whole... Same thing with Truth of My Youth. What if he's just writing this letter to just get it out? And he's admitting, I'm full of doubt about this, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. And I don't want to completely tear this apart just because I'm being pessimistic and seeing the worst case scenario in all this when maybe I'll give it some time and things will get better. Things will work themselves out. Well, I think doubtful works in multiple ways in the song. He's doubtful about this relationship, which is why he's writing this letter in the first place, this breakup letter, but he's also doubtful of his own feelings. Do I actually feel this way? And he's indecisive 
about the decision to actually mail it and end this relationship. So he's just all sorts of confused in the song is kind of what I gather. The line preaching the choir always bothered me. Preaching the choir supposed to preaching to the choir? Yeah. Yeah. Like, couldn't they have just, he sings everything so quickly or so blurred together anyway. Couldn't he have just said, preaching to the choir? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, nah, I think he's just on such a higher level than you might that you just don't understand what he's actually trying to say here. Well, I don't doubt he's on a higher level than me, but. Oh, are you doubtful about that or you're not doubtful about that? I'm the one, the one full of doubt. <laughs> So going back to using the letter as being a method to get your feelings out and maybe set yourself at ease with the relationship, do you know that when you're in a relationship but you just have this gut feeling that it's not going anywhere? Have you ever had one of those? Oh, you mean every single one of my relationships, Mike? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Because that, that's an interesting like sensation to me where it's like... No, definitely not. Yeah. I would say probably when I was younger, the earlier relationships you have, the high school relationships, the early college relationships, you're probably like, okay, this is just going to be a fling and you know that it's probably temporary. And then once you start getting later in college and early adulthood, then you're like, okay, this could be something serious. But I don't know if I've ever had a relationship where I've just decided off the bat that it wasn't going to work out. Because I think if that is the case, then... You're probably right, but you're probably right because of you, not because of her. Right. You know? Totally. I guess that's what he's saying in this song, too. I think it's going to fail so bad that it is going to fail, but just because of it's my own doing. It's my yeah. own un unraveling here. Like, could you imagine just being in a relationship and just writing all this, like, <laughs> all this awful stuff or all your worst fears? Yeah. I don't know. Just say something. <laughs> well, well, that was my question to you, sort of, is, so he's writing this letter. If he actually gives this girl this letter, let's just say it's, you know, 2004 Jordan Pundick from Newfound Glory. Like, what a terrible way for this adult to break up with somebody. Is there a worse way today? Is that the worst way today? Mailing somebody a letter? Email, maybe? Fax? Yeah, email's probably the worst. I was going to say text, but email's even less personal. Do you know of anybody who's done, like, a weird breakup? Do you have any, like, weird breakup stories from friends or anything? Not to my knowledge, unless they just haven't shared it with me. But, no, I think most of the breakups are pretty mutual. Like, yeah. I haven't heard of any one-sided breakups recently. For the most part, it's just both parties coming to the conclusion that, you know, they like each other just fine, but it's not exactly what they're looking for. And they agree to it's best for them to move on. Very mature. Yeah. No, that's good. Uh, the only real unusual one that I could think of was in college, one of my roommates, and I, w I won't share who it was. I won't give too many specific details, but... Lance? <laughs> no, it wasn't Lance. <laughs> or was it? it could, that's it could the only be. one whose name I know. Oh. You know Tyler. That's... Tyler Nace? Oh, you know I didn't Tyler. know Tyler was your roommate. Yeah, he was my roommate. So one of my roommates was seeing this girl, and it was not a serious thing. It was like, it's hard to even call this a breakup, but I still kind of find it entertaining slash kind of sad, but they were seeing this girl for a little while. And I think he just decided that it was over. And I think he mentioned something to her in person and she thought he was joking or she just didn't think he was being serious about it. And I remember he, he came back after dinner one night, locked himself in his room. She showed up and wanted to like talk to him and wanted to like hang out with him. And 
we let her in because we're like, oh, he didn't really tell us. So we just let her in. And we're like, mm. oh, she's here. And she went to his door and was just knocking on his door. And he didn't say a word, didn't open his door, didn't do anything. And she was like, is he in there? And we're like, we think so. And she's like, uh, what's he doing? And we're like, uh, I don't know. And she literally knocked there for like 10 minutes. She's like, I'm just going to go. He like didn't talk to her after that. So Man, that's yeah. hard to do. It was cold-blooded for sure. Yeah. But I think he just felt uncomfortable and he realized it wasn't anything serious. So Did he come out after she left or did he just stay in there all night? I think he eventually came out like hours later. He's like, oh, hey, what's up, guys? And we're just like, <laughs> uh, do, do you want to talk about that? And he's like, nah, I'm You've cool. got some explaining to do. Yeah. So Tyler, Taylor, Tim, and Lance, you guys know who it was. You know who I'm talking about. It sounds like a, a family that ran out of tea names for their sons. <laughs> yeah. Tyler, Taylor, Tim, Lance, and Keenan. Yeah. yeah. Track number eight. Numero Ucho. Wait. Numero Ocho, Mike. Failure's not flattering. That was a big old outcho, Keenan. <laughs> <laughs> Crap. Now you're going to leave all that in. This is the third single released after the second single, Truth of My Youth, and before the fourth single, I Don't Want to Know. And it's also my favorite song on the album. Nice, Mike. This is a good one. You picked a real good one, Mike. I'm guilty of liking a single this week. You went for the non-single this week, and That's right. here I am, Mr. Old Commercial Mike. Hate to see it. Being the, the guys they railed against in the intro track. This is also another advice song, Mike. It is. It's another one where they really lay into somebody. Yeah. <laughs> like, like they don't they don't hold back. Same thing. It's another one where it's like is this about somebody specifically? It has to be, right? It has to be. And they are laying into somebody, but the way they go about it is they kind of preface it by saying they're not judging them. Like it is what it is, man. Like we're boys. I'm not going to judge you for it. But here's the thing. Like, I'm not going to cast the first stone or leave the first mark. But what I will do is tell you how I honestly feel and leave a lasting impression. So take yeah. it or leave it. Here's my advice to you. The rest is up to you. Yeah. It's just good advice from your boy, you know? Mm-hmm. But it is clear that Jordan thinks that somebody out there is making some mistakes. And I think he's hoping that they're learning from them. I also got the sense of like seizing opportunities and making the most of them kind of a positive spin on it. But I think he's trying to get this person to actually do that. Yeah. I was trying to get a good grip on exactly what they wanted for the person. Cause there seems like there's some positives, like the line, don't leave this rock and turn. Cause you could like what you find, like maybe this person's making the wrong decisions and like try to look at the other side and things could start working out for you if you 
try to approach things a little bit differently. You know that phrase, leave no rock unturned, like you never know what's out there. Yeah. Musically, I also really enjoyed this song. This was more of a synth pop song, which again is a total change of pace for them. I actually noted that this is my favorite song on this album and it has a good deal of synth. And I remembered my favorite song on Sticks and Stones was the song Singled Out. Yeah, also synth. Yeah, heavy synth there too. So I think I really love when they include some synth in here. I get like a Motion City soundtrack vibe that just really does it for me, Keenan. That's great. I'm happy for you, Mike. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, that was cool to hear. And they do a lot more of it, which is awesome. And I'm sure you're going to love that. Let me ask you something real quick about this title. Failure's not flattering. I was convinced that this was an actual saying. I actually went and Googled. I wanted to talk about like the origins of that saying, so I Googled it, and the only thing that popped up was newfound glory lyrics, YouTube videos, things like that. Did you think that this was an actual saying? Am I just going crazy? It sounds like it could be. Yeah, apparently it's not. It reminds me of that line from Animal House. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. Yeah, that's It's in right. the same vein as that. Like, failure's not flattering, son. Yeah, it does have that vibe to it. Coincided with that is the line, when will you get it together? Like, that's just such a, it's kind of a gut punch. If somebody you, yeah. like, respect and care about says that to you, it's like, oh, man. That like, one's tough. It's hard to recover from that. Yeah. Like, when will I get it together? Like, I'm not doing anything right. <laughs> Sucks. This one had a interesting music video as well. I think the best music video. Yeah, it was definitely the one I enjoyed the most. It was kind of on the same level as All Downhill From Here with the different elements they incorporate. Like there's some special effects stuff, some animated stuff, and then some live action stuff. The band's like bug size. They're like Honey, I Shrunk the Kid size. Yeah. And they're at this college party trying to avoid all the party goers and there's a dog that they're trying to avoid and there's a ton of stuff going on so can't get into every last detail but at some point jordan gets microwaved and turns into a fly and he's then flying around the room it's interesting there's a lot of stuff going on i made a note that we had talked about green screen hellscapes in <laughs> the relying k episode yeah and i said this is not a green screen hellscape but if they had just done a couple things a little bit differently, it easily could have been. Yeah. Because there's a couple moments where it's like, this is just <laughs> this is just really bad green screen. And other times it's like, this is actually pretty cool. Like pretty cool effects. Yeah, pretty cool effects. I mean, obviously, it's a bit dated. You can tell that it came out in the mid-2000s. But I thought it was just a hilarious video. I could watch hours of this video. If they made this video an actual movie, I would be the first one in the theater watching it. When Jordan's face is on the fly. It's so funny. I was just like looking so around. Many good faces. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's this memeish little quality that, I don't know, maybe we should try to make a, a Jordan fly meme from it. That'd be pretty funny. Do you know that uh, for my birthday, a bunch of people got together and got me a Jordan cameo? You knew that, right? You saw that. Yeah, I saw that. I was hoping we could somehow incorporate it for this episode like, i think we should definitely share it it was pretty funny yeah because he gives a shout out to the pod too right he does yeah because he's paid to <laughs> yeah true but that definitely got him to listen so we're good yeah hey jordan thanks so much we appreciate all the kind words 
this music video did get me thinking a little bit though. Would you rather be that small? Would you rather be like one one hundredth your size on the short side, or would you rather be a hundred times your size? So like a huge giant walking around or a tiny insect, but still a person. I don't know. I've never thought about it. I would probably <laughs> want to be smaller because if I was a giant, a ton of people would probably want to kill me. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> they would just be like, oh, holy shit. Look at that, <laughs> look at that big huge giant. freak. Yeah. yeah. You know that the BFG movie? I'd be like the big fat giant. <laughs> like, holy shit. Let's get this guy down. Here's the thing. If you're really big, more people would want to kill you, but it'd be so hard to kill you. Whereas if you're very tiny, literally anything could kill you. Yeah, that's true. So They'd I don't know. be shooting missiles at you. You're like, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're tiny, you can just also blend in and hide. True. Yeah. Like, where would you go if you were tiny? Like, you could just go and chill anywhere. Oh, nowhere in my house. There's so much <laughs> stuff on the floor. I'm trying to think, like... Because in the video, they go into, like, the TV, right? Or, like, into the cords or something like that? Yeah. It was hard to follow. <laughs> I don't know if yeah. there was, like, an like an actual plot to it. But, yeah, they get into some shenanigans. What I do love about the ending, though, is the very end is it's, like, the day after this party, people are passed out, and somebody comes with a vacuum and is vacuuming the rug. Mm -hmm. And I think the implication is that, like, <laughs> they all get sucked up and probably die. Yeah. So... That's that's a very satisfying feeling too to just vacuum up all that all those crumbs and trash. Welcome to the uh, your home cleaning podcast with Mike the Dad Moynihan. Yeah. <laughs> Track number nine, over the head, below the knees. So it's interesting that you said there was a song earlier about you wanting to give advice to your friend about dating somebody, right? I thought this was about not liking your friend's significant other and not having a clue why they see that person and calling them out for all their terrible qualities and just questioning your friend's overall judgment because of that. Whether or not the first one is the same theme, who's to say? But this is definitely in that genre. Okay, cool. Interesting, they have two that could be kind of about that. Again, is that about somebody specifically? Did they want to include two entire songs from their fourth album just directed at this person who's dating a horrible, horrible human being? And that person is also Tom DeLonge. Yeah, also Tom DeLonge, yeah. <laughs> they really hated his wife or <laughs> yeah. girlfriend, whoever at the time. Man, that's a commitment to devote that many songs to Tom DeLonge. Speaking of words that would cut like daggers, again, they go hard at these people that they're in disagreements with or at, at odds with you must not have a heart have nothing in your chest yeah so he does not like this girl and what's even worse than this girl just being awful to i'm assuming his friend he cannot understand what his friend sees in her 
Like, what is the benefit to being in this relationship? The chorus is, what does she have? Can you let go? Can you tell me what I'm aching to know? It's like, he just doesn't get it. And one of my favorite lines from the song is, I can only take so much from not so far away. So it's like, he's watching this all unfold and it's just making him sick to his stomach being witness to all of this nonsense. I don't know if this is one of my favorite songs from the album. It's okay. Um, It sort of just blends in. I think this is one that I would have no problem skipping, but I do think the title is pretty cool. So the title is a combination of over your head, and that's the saying that, okay, if something goes over somebody's head, it means that they're oblivious. His friend is oblivious to this terrible person he's dating. And then Mm -hmm. the second part is below the knees. And you know the saying, if you cut someone below the knees, that essentially means that you're humiliating them. So this guy's also being humiliated by this woman that is apparently a bad person. So I don't know. They just sort of mush those two together, I guess, to make this ultimate burn of their friend. I don't know. It's really cool. Yeah, another thing where it's like, did that exist outside of this song? It was like, no, they just came up with an interesting way with words. Yeah, it's a fun combination. Track number 10, Ending in Tragedy. Another different sounding song. I don't know if this song even really fits into a category, but parts of it sounded a lot to me like Panic at the Disco. You remember Hmm. how in their album we were talking about how it sounded like weird carnival music at times? Same with this. I think at times it kind of has this creepy carnival vibe. Yeah, it does. And it's funny because the album cover actually looks like a carnival theme. So I wonder if they were in a carny kind of mood (laughs) could be can i guess the theme mike uh yeah i think you have very good odds of guessing correctly too (laughs) is this about a failing relationship or am i going crazy here a ding 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 (laughs) that is correct keenan another one which it's fine yeah nothing wrong with that it's a weird spot in the album for this song it's uh you said track 10 sometimes with these longer albums at least for pop punk standards with 14 songs it's like all right yep well here's another song about a similar theme to another one that we already had on the album and this song's maybe not quite as good as the last one but it's still a decent song yeah so i don't know i've always liked this song more musically than lyrically just because the theme's repetitive at this point yeah but yeah the relationship is failing it's going to end in tragedy and it's just Jordan or whoever the protagonist is coming to terms with the fact that it's going to end. It's going to suck no matter when he just has to suck it up and do it. Yeah. One thing that I picked up on that I was kind of curious about, they use the line and I'll see you on the other side several times in this song. And I was trying to figure out what that was about because when you say I'll see you on the other side, obviously that's referring to the afterlife. 
there's this impending doom. And I always thought of that as like, okay, you're going out guns a-blazing. This is like your last stand. And I couldn't quite figure out what it had to do with this song. Like he's going out with a bang. Like the end of this relationship is so doomed that he and this girl are, this is their demise. Is that what that was all about? I don't think it's that severe. I think it's just, there's definitely going to have to be something that's rebuilt after this. It's going to destroy a lot in terms of their lives. And it's just recovering from all of that. Yeah. But one cool tip. It's also a very cool thing to say. I'll see you on the other side before a big test. That's true. Yeah. Very cool. Or like if you go to like the dentist, I'll see you on the other side. Yeah. You take out your blue book or your Scantron yeah. and you just turn to your buddy and say, all right, see you on the other side, brother. Yeah, that always got a good laugh back in the day. Yeah. Do you know the actual origins of that phrase? No, I actually never thought that it really had origins. I just, in my mind, was always something that was a thing. I don't know if it's the actual origins, but I know that it was at least popularized by NASA. And apparently that was something that when the first few astronauts would go on the other side of the moon, the dark side of the moon, whenever they would pass on the other side, they would say, see on the other side, because that's when they would lose all communication with Earth. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Is that kind of cool? It's kind of badass. But also very scary. Yeah, just thinking about it, even a little bit is terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Wasn't that a Transformers dark side of the moon or dark of the moon or something? Pink Floyd. No, but wasn't that also a Transformers title? Oh, I don't know. Or... I think it was like Dark of the Moon. We agreed that we stopped after the second one. Yeah, I know. Whatever. It's not even worth looking up, to be honest. (laughs) Track number 11, At Least I'm Known for Something. Oh, another nice, upbeat, fun song, Mike, right? A nice, positive song. Yeah. Guess what? It's not that positive. You're right, it's not. And it's not that positive because it's not about a positive person. It's about, like we saw with Paramore, this big old pessimist. Yep. That just can't see the good in things and has to screw it all up for himself. So I know that this song is really negative. He's best known for failure, best known for giving up. But he's saying, oh, at least I'm known for something. At least I'm not a nobody who doesn't ever do anything. I don't know. I was trying to look at the positive spin. Like, at least I'm a risk taker. At least I'm living life to my fullest. And I failed, yeah, but at least I'm giving it a try. I don't know. That's where I was kind of going with it. I think you kind of have to spin it a little bit. Yeah, you do. Because he's saying at least he's known for something. So he's putting somebody else down. He's putting down people who are not known for anything. People who just live vanilla lives and don't take any risks, I thought. Yeah, but the thing he's known for is, like, kind of annoying. (laughs) Like, he'd rather just be that guy that nobody knows anything about and doesn't bother with than the guy who, when you say his name, is like, oh, my God, that guy. Well, I thought he's saying that he's okay being that guy. 
at least he's known for something. I guess. But that that made me think, like, this guy obviously is negative. Like, there's multiple lines, like, give me bad news because it's already been expected. I let my front down and I know I will regret it. So he's yeah. just saying there's no point in being optimistic because I'm just going to be let down. And I was thinking within friend circles or friend groups, there always is a more negative member that kind of is necessary to keep everybody else in check. They keep everybody else from getting too far out of hand or too far out of control. They're like a realist. They're very realistic. Yeah. And then I was thinking, we've discussed, I can be negative at times, but I don't think I'm known for being negative. But when I was younger, I could see myself being that person because I was incredibly scared of not following the rules and getting in trouble. Yep. So if that were the case, then I can, I'm on this guy's side. Like, (laughs) you should be negative. You should just assume that you're going to get caught doing something (laughs) bad and you're going to have to pay for it and just not do it, not do anything at all. Man, you take all the fun out of life. See, that's, that's not the person you want to be. That's the guy that you don't want to (laughs) be. Yeah, I think we're just different about this. But we have covered that you're a pessimist and I'm typically more optimistic. Yeah. And and I did find the positive spin in the song and you found the more negative spin. So there you go. But my negative spin is just saying that this person is negative and that's not a good thing. Yeah. So double negative is a positive. Hey, there you are. Good math. The music in the song, it is back to that hardcore sound. Love the double bass pedal drum in this. They use that throughout which is always cool. Has that metal feel to it. Also really love the bridge and the breakdown in this one. Mm-hmm. Really good background singing, good screaming, chanting. Always love those parts. Yeah. Musically, the intro is great. All the parts you just mentioned are great. So a lot of positive takeaways from this negative guy who's known for giving up. You're just going to do anything you can to get rid of that reputation now, aren't you? Dispel that rumor. About me? Yeah. No, I'm good. Okay. Who, me? Guy like me? No. Couldn't. Could never. Couldn't be me. Track number 12. I'd kill to fall asleep. That's how I feel right now, Mike. Keenan, i just like to encourage the audience, if you're having these thoughts of killing somebody to fall asleep, please pause the episode now and just lay down. <laughs> yeah. Alexa, order my pillow. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> I hope you actually get one in the mail now. Oh! 
Hey, Keenan, do you know what this one's about? <laughs> I legitimately just think it's about wanting to fall asleep, which is the crazy thing. I think you're absolutely right. And it's a little funny, Keenan. A little haha, because with Sugarcoat last week, we talked about sleeping as well. Yeah, really weird. And you came up with all these alternate meanings for that song. This one, I see none of that. <laughs> it's just a guy who can't fall asleep. He wants to fall asleep. And there's all this other stuff going on, preventing him from falling asleep. Yeah. It seems very straightforward. And it's funny because I could not be content with that. I needed to find if there was actual meaning behind it. And so this is one where I literally went on the internet. And I was going through message boards and lyric sites. And I was trying to figure something out. And here's the thing. I actually didn't find anything. I think it, you're right. It is just about sleep. But in my adventure, in my journey to find meaning... I came across this one comment about, it wasn't actually about this song. It was about all downhill from here. And I stumbled upon this message board and this was the comment I just had to share it with you. Can't stand the song, but I was watching the music video. Nothing was on TV. And I noticed that the singer for this band is the spitting image of Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, not Quentin Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino. Quentin. <laughs> And then I had to look it up. I was like, wait a minute. Is that true? And I pulled up pictures and it's all over the internet. Apparently Jordan Pundick, not apparently because I looked it up, but he looks just like Quentin Tarantino. It's really weird. He looks like he could be his son. I know. Yeah. Just a younger version. Yeah. Uh, that kind of sucks because Tarantino is not a guy you you want to look like. No, he's not a great looking dude. <laughs> it's weird. Like, I'll show you the picture later and we'll share it somewhere. But, but Jordan's not an awful looking dude. So that's the unusual part. I know. I don't get it. But a lot of their features are very similar. But I just came yeah. across that comment. And I was cracking up. I was like, I have to share this. Their eyes are similar. They both kind of have like, I don't want to say weasel eyes because that sounds mean. But they both have like a like a devious kind of look to them a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I thought that was really funny. But I also love this guy who's just like, can't stand this song. He's like on a newfound glory like lyric site. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can't stand this song. But I noticed. The best part about those lyric sites, which we rarely, if ever, visit. Literally never go. But all the posts are from 2004. It's incredible. They're still preserved there like a time capsule. Mostly they're just, this song rocks. Definitely best on the album. Yeah. And then somebody okay. disagrees like, are you crazy, you idiot? Yeah. This is the worst song can't wait to see them in toronto you know that we commented on those back in the day for sure oh for sure for sure for sure but yeah okay so i'm never going to be able to unsee that so that's interesting yeah i thought that was funny shout out to that guy but now it's a prevalent thing i guess do you think that guy was the originator of that that idea <laughs> oh um you mean do you have his username oh uh, it's nothing fun kilo k-i-l-o okay not that good it could have been, been you for all we know I actually meant to spell Kino, and uh, it didn't work. Kino. It autocorrected. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, otherwise, this song is what it is. There's some cool screaming. That's nice. Um, it also has my tattoo line. Go figure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For such a weird song. Okay, let's hear it. Yeah, for a weird, straightforward song, the line, if Polaroids and memories can fade away, so can I. Whoa. That one yeah. could be interpreted as very dark. Well, no, I think it's he's trying to encourage himself to fall asleep, yeah, fade out and fall asleep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I know that, but I'm oh, saying but it, like, yeah, yeah, it if could you be just saw this on somebody's body, you'd be like, oh, that person is. Oh, yes, if you saw a psycho with that tattooed on them, yeah, you could think <laughs> it means the worst. Yeah, 
This person is is struggling at the moment. Is he okay? If yeah. Polaroids and memories can fade away, so can I. I mean, it is a pretty badass line. I mean, that's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> and it's literally just about taking a nap. That makes it so less cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you saw it on somebody, you would be like, whoa, like, that's dark. Like, you good? But then you just tell them, oh, no, it's a pop punk song about not being able to fall asleep sometimes. Yeah. Okay, get out of my face, loser. Yeah. But um, I might want to put that, like, maybe combine it with a Polaroid camera or a Polaroid image. Okay, so an actual picture next to it is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, and, like, have that as a description on the picture. Like, you oh, know how on Polaroids you write, like, who's in the picture or yes. whatever, or, like, the date? That would be pretty cool. Yeah. And where on your body? Um, my, like, right shoulder, like, okay. shoulder blade, like, yep. back on my back. Yeah. Cool. That's a good one. That's one yeah. that you don't want to see. Only at, when I'm at the beach. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Sick. Because, like, if you saw a bro on the beach just, like, playing some can jam, um, you know, wearing some awesome shades. <laughs> I sure. I, I hate the beach, so I'm not quite sure exactly what. All I know is... If they see you up to this point where you have that tattoo and then the one on your eyelids and then the one on your butt cheeks and then... No, I don't think I had butt cheeks. It was my upper thigh. I'm pretty sure you had butt cheek ones. And middle fingers. Definitely middle fingers, yeah. Yeah, okay. This guy's all tatted up. (laughs) Track number 13, No News is Good News. Is that true, Mike? As far as I'm concerned, Keenan. I would agree with that. Low key, I think this is actually a really good song. I think this one is really underrated. Okay. I thought you were making fun of me because... <laughs> I, But I don't think you are. I'm not. My first note, you said low key, really good song. I said kind of a hidden gem. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a hidden gem, yeah. Uh, wow, so we agree. So we're both, we're both in agreement. Like, this sneaks in on you at number 13, but yeah. it holds its own very well. It should be unlucky, but... It's actually our lucky gem, Mike. Thank goodness. I mean, the whole not being able to fall asleep theme was different, but not as interesting as, you know, it could have been. But this is a completely different theme from the rest of the album, and I think it works incredibly well as as a song. Yeah, it's great. Again, clever title, No News is Good News. It's a song like we saw with Jimmy Eat World's Bleed American that's concerned with the media and the 24-7 news cycle that we seem to be trapped in and the biggest concern is them constantly broadcasting tragedies and disasters and keeping people on edge and angry at one another rather than ever focusing on any of the good things happening in the world yeah and newfound glories their way to deal with that is just turn it off nothing changes except the channel it's not going to go anywhere. You need to be the person to just stop watching it or stop paying attention to it if it's bothering you, which 
it can get pretty bothersome sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this negative media that just floods our TVs constantly is just poisoning us. At least that's what they're trying to say here. Jimmy World did talk about it. I also thought it was interesting during the season, not exactly the same theme, but Fallout Boy, Paramore, Sugar Cult, they all talked about media and how the media can be so negative and how they're held on this pedestal and fame is this terrible thing. This is a, you know, the fourth one this season, I think, where they talk about how the media can manipulate people. Very interesting, very common theme all of a sudden. But yeah, that's exactly what it is. The one thing it made me think of, and I know as of recording this, this happened a little more recently. This episode will come out actually a couple weeks later, but it reminded me a lot of the Super Bowl and how they just run these ads and like people glorify those ads. The reason that these companies are spending millions and millions of dollars on these ads is because we eat that stuff up. Yeah, we're little piggies just rolling around in the <laughs> advertisement yeah. mud. Yeah. And so when you were saying like their little bit of advice at the end of the song, it's another pseudo advice song is nothing will change but the channel. So I turn it off. Turn it off. Yeah. It's a cool one. Yeah, it's a cool one. It has some of my favorite lyrics. I was trying to write down different lyrics, and then I realized all I had done was just copy and pasted the first verse, like the entire first verse, <laughs> yeah. and the entire second verse. Yeah, yeah, so, they're so I good. Mean, go read the lyrics for yourself, but I will say the second verse especially is pretty cool. Yeah, we're just robots. Yeah. It reminds me of the movie um, They Live with uh, Rowdy mm. Roddy Piper. It's a John Carpenter movie. It's the whole Obey. That's where that comes from. It's essentially the people are robots. And Roddy Piper gets these sunglasses where he can see them for what they are, which is these like alien species that's infiltrating Earth, commercializing everything, and just forcing people to slowly just become these bland mm. non-individuals so it's a really good like sci-fi kind of flick if you're looking for something to watch but we'll post a scene for the movie but at one point roddy piper puts on the sunglasses and he looks at the billboards and it just says stuff like obey watch tv and then he takes them off and it's like advertisements for like perfume or like a tv show and so whoa that's wild yeah track number 14 who am i I love that they chose to end the album with this one, Keenan. It's a great album ender. And when you said earlier how I don't want to know is there a ballad, this one I think also has ballad elements to it, but it yeah. picks up within its uh, chorus. Yeah, it's good. 
He's a good change of tempo in there. The theme I got of this is just a guy feeling like he's totally worthless and he's helpless, but he's hoping that it doesn't stay that way forever. He's hoping that he can kind of break out of that and change. And it could be about himself. It could be about how it relates to a relationship, like he's feeling hopeless in this relationship, like he's not good enough for this person. And at times, it's so extreme that it literally feels like you don't exist. That's kind of what they mention a few times in the song. That feeling of just not feeling like you have meaning or just nothingness or not amounting to enough is very relatable. Yeah, we've all been there, and it sounds like the guys from Newfound Glory have been there too. I kind of took a different approach to it. And this isn't a long-standing idea I've had about this song, but in reading the lyrics this week, I thought the title is Who Am I? And it kind of reminded me almost like a riddle. Like those riddles where you try to figure out what something is, like mm. what's white and black and red all over. Yeah. Something like oh, yeah. That. <laughs> because throughout the song, Jordan sings, I'm afloat in the ocean trying not to sink. I'm a crack in the asphalt. I'm a falling star. I'm the lash in your eye. And the most disgusting line that I think we'll find almost ever, <laughs> I am the knot in your stomach, the phlegm in your throat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the message saying you're not home. Yep. So... Just the phlegm in your throat. Never thought I'd hear the word phlegm on an album. It's a little (laughs) crazy to see that written down on paper right now. Yeah. Yeah. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, is this a riddle? Like, do these things all have something in common or am I just like (laughs) looking too far into it? That's so funny. The way you explain it and like now that I'm reading it, it does play out like that. It's like these cryptic details about some object, some noun. And I'm like trying to piece it together. Like, what could this thing be? Yeah, that's so funny. In thinking about it, I thought, is it just one specific thing? And then I thought, I can't find a connection between all of them, except that maybe there are all these little things in life, and they're kind of things that you don't notice either until they're there or until they're gone. Yeah. So, like, you don't notice phlegm in your throat until it's there. You don't notice a crack on the sidewalk until you trip. You don't notice an eyelash in your eye. Until you're rubbing your eye. The crack in the asphalt that you walk on by. Right. The falling star you'll never see. Yeah. I think our two things actually relate. You're trying to piece them all together and figure out what it is that they have in common. And it's him. That's what they have in common. He feels like he doesn't exist. He feels like he's constantly overlooked. He's this minuscule thing. So, yeah. So you're trying to give meaning to these little things and give meaning to yourself. Right. Exactly. Oh, that's cool. I guess we solved that riddle, Michael. <laughs> riddle me this, though, Keenan. Is this actually the last song on the album? It's not. There are two hidden tracks, one hidden track, but put together? I don't know. There are hidden tracks, though. Interestingly, our second album in a row where there's a hidden track at the end of it. Last week was Sugar Colt's Underwear. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And I don't even know if these songs have titles. I think they were just at the very end of the CD if you listened long enough. Right, correct. But yeah, it's, you're right. It's kind of two separate parts. The first part is, I don't even want to put it in the episode because it's incredibly <laughs> creepy. I think we have to put the first part, but it is extremely creepy. Scary to listen to alone, for sure. Yeah, so just so you know, this is super spooky. Yeah, warning. It's just warning. them saying... 
Someone's in the house, <laughs> like over. Someone's don't in say the house. It. Don't say it. Don't warn them. I listened to it last night, and I was like, <laughs> I took my headphones off and just walked out to the to the kitchen to make sure. <laughs> Just uh, make sure that while I was listening to Newfound Glory. Here's the thing, Mike. I think we have to share the first part because I don't know if we can actually share the second part, which is possibly inappropriate, borderline racist. We'll post the link for both hidden tracks. There's a YouTube video that includes both of them, and you can listen to it for yourself. Yeah. And listen at your own discretion. Discover all the 2004 things that don't hold up in today's world. Yeah, exactly. You have to understand that this is not just a CD. It is taking over your brain. Do you think? Do you think? You're safe right now? Huh? Someone's in your house. Someone's in your house. Yeah, yeah. Button, the button, the button, button, the button, the button, button, the button. I'm sick of smiling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, this one was supposed to be on the hidden track of the last record, but Jordan was mad on. He left the studio before he could do it. <laughs> Nick Riff has a queen! Now I'm gonna get my car out! It's a fun album. It's totally different from a lot of the other ones we discussed. Way different from Sticks and Stones, which had a very consistent pop-punk feel from start to finish. Like we said, this was the catalyst for their new sound, and they were okay throwing in heavier songs, throwing in slower songs, throwing in songs that didn't fit your typical Newfound Glory genre. And I think we learned a lot about them as a group and what they were trying to be after their first three albums. And I think it's safe to say that they really settled into a really solid place going forward obviously we've discussed before how they're one of your favorite bands i would like to listen to more of their stuff they're on my radar for a band that i know i need to catch up on some of their more recent releases but you never hear people complaining about them as a band that has lost it or lost steam or stopped putting out really great stuff so Newfound Glory, they're a band where, for the most part, if you're a fan, you're a fan for life. That is definitely true. Yeah, to that point, Mike, they still release stuff constantly. They released a new album a couple years ago. They still put out new music all the time. And they tour constantly, which is another cool thing about them. Again, as we've discussed, I've seen them live so many times recently because they're just a band that if they're not recording, they're on tour. And they're performing shows for their fans. So this was a cool point in time when it was right in the middle of their career. I think they were still trying to find their sound a little bit, but they've continued to evolve since then, and I don't think they've ever had a bad album. Bold statement, but I would tend to agree with you.
Well, that was a glorious episode, Mike. Glorious. And I know it feels like this was just us reliving our old glory, Mike, but I think this was also a little bit of newfound glory. Definitely some newfound glory. And if I'm being completely honest, not enough glory falls. Whoa, glory (laughs) falls. Yeah, that was the best band to have glory in their name, for sure. Hands down. Agreed. Hard to argue that one, Keenan. Just in case you didn't get enough newfound glory this week, Keenan, how about we start off our next album with a little bit more? Let me set the scene. Standing on the edge of morning, the scent of sex and newfound glory, playing as she's pulling back her hair. Wow. Wait a minute, Mike. You're not talking about something unprofessional, are you? You're talking about something corporate. Something very corporate, Keenan. Oh, yeah. Next week, something corporate leaving through the window. I can't wait. I've been waiting to do an Andrew McMahon album in some fashion, and what better way to start out than with SoCo's debut LP? Until then, send us an email, please. We haven't gotten that many emails, and I check it every day, and it's kind of discouraging. Yeah, that is kind of sad. We want to hear from you, people. Pop Punk Proj, that's P-R-O-J, at gmail.com. On Instagram and Twitter, I have been making an effort to tweet out our episodes each week and tagging the bands that we discuss. So, yeah, let's get Pop Punk Proj trending. Instagram at Pop Punk Project, Twitter at Pop Punk Project, Patreon.com slash Pop Punk Project. Man, I could talk about Newfound Glory for another 14 songs, Keenan, but we just we're just out of time. We are out of time, but I did have the time in my life, and I hope you all have the time in your lives as well. Good riddance, goodbye. Let's sing our outro this week. Ready? Pop. Oh. <laughs> Pop. Pop. Punk. <laughs> are you going to sing the actual song? I don't know what I was going to do. <laughs> I'll sing the low harmony, you sing the high harmony. Project. Life's such a way to pay respect. It's a pop punk project. Oh, let's sing our let's sing our song Jordan style. <laughs> okay. Pop punk project. Life's such a way to pay respect. It's the pop punk project. <laughs> that was a good one.